Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Thank you, Cordy. And I'm so thankful for young men and women who are growing in their knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many of you could play What a Friend We Have in Jesus on the piano? Just Cordy. All right, fantastic. So next time we need that song played, we know who to come to. Thank you so much. I'm so thankful you're here tonight. It's such a wonderful thing to see Cordy play the piano because it's a demonstration that God has us each at different levels of faith and growth in our life. Last time we met together, we talked about sanctification. And sanctification is the process of God working in our life and God growing us to be more like Him. This past Sunday, we saw here at this church, we saw almost 1,200 people on campus. And that's so wonderful. So many of you invited friends. I think we had about 80 guests or so, families that visited for the very first time. But what's even more special than that is there were 25 people that indicated on their connection card that they prayed to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. So in our vernacular, we would say that there were 25 people that were saved, or there were 25 salvations, as we were talking about what happened this Sunday at church. And we give the Lord, we give the Lord all the praise for that, right? What a wonderful God to let us be part of that, and it gave us beautiful weather, and I'm so thankful for all that God's done. When we start to talk or when we are communicating about Bible words, it's important that we understand what the, what the definition is of which we're speaking. Because you might say something and intend for it to be taken this way, or I might say something and it's intended to take something this way, because words matter. And sometimes words have different definitions. For instance, on Sunday, we're going to be talking about yielding ourselves as we close up our series, uh, Signs and Signals. The word tempt, about 400 years ago, had the connotation of testing or trying or proving somebody. That's what the word tempt meant. It is now an obsolete way to use that word tempt. So if I were to say, I'm going to tempt Troy with chocolate chip cookies, it's a, it gives him the, he's okay with that. The idea is I'm going to give him something that's probably not the best for him, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to tempt him to do something. That's not what the connotation meant 400 years ago. So words change. I'm reminded of that because when we're talking about the Word of God, or when we say there were 25 salvations, we need to know what those words mean, especially when we talk about something as important as salvation. I was on Rampart and the Summerlin Parkway. There's an apartment complex right there uh, between uh, almost where the Summerlin Hospital is. Many of you would know where that is. And I was visiting somebody who visited our church, and my daughter and I were standing at her door, and I asked her this, are you saved? Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? And she said this, oh yes, 100%. I said, well, how do you know for sure you're going to heaven? When I was nine years old, she said, we were fishing, and my brother was trying to put uh, a hook on the line, and he missed the line and he cut his finger and when he cut his finger he cut his finger so badly it went into the bone and the whole way from the stream 
all the way to the hospital, I just prayed, Lord, please save my brother's finger. Please save my brother's finger. Please save my brother's finger. And when we got to the hospital, the doctor was able to surgically repair the, my brother's finger. He still has full mobility of his finger today. And I know I'm saved because God saved my brother's finger. Now, isn't that a wonderful story that God saved your brother's finger? I'm glad that he's not going through the rest of life like this. Okay, I'm thankful for that. Aren't you? I'm glad, and she was as well. But does having all four fingers or all five, including your thumb, five, does that make a person saved? Well, of course not. But in her understanding or in her thought process, salvation came because God answered this very specific prayer in a time of need. We have transient definitions. My grandmother lives out in Pennsylvania. Before she passed away, she lived in the borough of Pekin Run. In Pekin Run, there are three houses, and her house was the closest to the stream. And my grandma used words that I didn't know. So one day, we were outside, and she said, Matt, go to the Davenport and pick this something up. And I'm from Las Vegas. There's no streams. We live beside a drainage ditch. There was no trees. We had a little cactus in our front yard. I don't know what these type of things are. But behind her kitchen was a little mud room that was right by the, uh, right by the creek. So if you were coming in, you took your shoes off in that little room. And when she said, go to the Davenport, to me, from Las Vegas, a 12-year-old boy, she says, go to the Davenport. I went to that mud room that kind of seemed like a port on a Davin, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and so I went to the Davenport, and I looked all around, and I came back a few minutes later, and I said, Grandma, I don't see, I don't see that anywhere in the Davenport. She said, it's right there. You can't miss it. It's sitting right in the middle of the Davenport. So I went back over to the port with the Davin, and I looked inside that whole room, and I looked all over. I couldn't find that thing. And she said, Matthew, she walked with me in, and she didn't go back to the mud room with the port and the davin. She, didn't, she walked me into the living room, and there in the middle of the couch, <laughs> sofa, love seat, cushiony chair, or in her words, a davenport, was the thing that she wanted me to get. Another time I was with my grandmother, and she said, uh, Matthew, would you, uh, we, were, we were husking corn, and as we're husking corn, we would sit out front on her porch, and we would husk the corn and husk the corn, get all the silk off the corn, fresh cut from the, from the cornfields not too far away, and she was cutting it, and she said, mm, I just love corn, don't you? Yes, Grandma, I do. She says, I like butter on it, but sometimes I also like oleo. How many of you ever had oleo on corn? I didn't know what oleo was on corn. I thought it was still illegal in 49 states, but I guess in Pennsylvania, it was okay to have oleo. She said, you, you like oleo on corn? I said, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever had oleo on corn. She said, oh, well, you can have oleo on your corn tonight. And she brought out a bucket of oleo. And this is what oleo is. Oleo is margarine. It's fake butter. How many of you knew what oleo was before? Okay, how many of you had never heard the word oleo before? How many of you thought I was mispronouncing a cookie with uh, black and white creamy middles? Okay, okay. She said, how about oleo? I didn't know what oleo was. Why? Because in her generation or in her time, when she talked about oleo, it was common. 
When she would talk in her context about Davenport, everyone knew what that was. But for me, 12-year-old, 13-year-old from Las Vegas, never heard the term oleo. I heard margarine. I heard I couldn't believe it was not butter. I heard all those different things, but I didn't know oleo, okay? So words have transient definitions. And in that transient definition, unless we understand the biblical context and the definition therein, we can sometimes be led astray. Like my friend who said, oh, I'm saved because I cut my finger, and yet I cut my brother's finger, and when my brother's finger was, was literally hanging on by a thread, uh, they were able to put it back together. What is salvation? Salvation has a constant definition. Words don't. Or words do too. Let me give you a couple more. I forgot I had these on here. The word prestigious in 1546 meant uh, today it means to be honored. Back then it meant to involve trickery. So if we wanted to do something prestigious for somebody, we were going to play a trick. Let's do, let's make Curtis prestigious. Let's give him a award. Let's say something nice about him. Uh, 500 years ago, we were going to trick him into do something. Okay. The word silly. Today's meaning, oh, it's foolish or it's frivolous. Back then, it meant you were innocent or pitiable. It's like, oh, that poor silly boy, that poor silly girl. It wouldn't be something like, oh, he's kind of funny. It's just like, oh, he's weird. Um, the word fantastic, it's exceptionally good. We think today it's exceptionally good. Uh, years ago, it meant exists only in the imagination. It's something that, it, oh, that is just fantastic. They will never put a person on the moon, did they? They will never, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. I just like to see who the, who the flat earther, oh, I, I, don't, I just like to see who's out here and present with us this evening, okay? So uh, fantastic, it exists only in the imagination like a fantasy, okay? A backlog. If you were like, oh man, I got a backlog. 400 years ago, a backlog meant the, the log on the back of the fireplace, right? It used to denote a literal log. So when we talk about salvation, I think it's important that we understand what it is. In your notes, salvation, by definition, is to be rescued or delivered in a physical or spiritual sense. A guy's out in the ocean. Ah, ah, I can't breathe. I'm drowning. A lifeguard swims out there, brings them back in. They have been saved, but they have only been saved Physically, just because a lifeguard comes to you is uh, doesn't mean that you are now going to heaven. Uh, one of my favorite stories is when we were on a youth activity and we were in the middle of the ocean. And we were swimming in the middle of the ocean and uh, I was, Brad Halverson was with me and we had about 10 or 12 teenagers. It's about five years ago. We're swimming in the ocean and uh, we, were in, uh, we were in Hawaii. And there's this big reef and there were these these waves that were coming in, it was kind of soft here on Hanama Bay. And then there were some waves, and once you get past those breakers, you were going to be able to see deeper and more clear water. So we're like, let's go out there. And so about five or six of us started swimming out there, but the breakers were a little too tough for one of the girls. And, and uh, she said, Pastor Matt, I'm going to go back. I said, okay, go ahead back. Do you want me to swim back with you? She said, no, 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 I'll be okay. And so we kept swimming against the breakers, and it was a little bit difficult to swim against the breakers. And I was kind of checking on her and checking on her. And I looked back about two or three minutes later, and a lifeguard was coming out to her. And this big, beefy, 18-year-old lifeguard was coming out to see this teenage girl. <laughs> 
And, and she wasn't flailing or anything, but a lifeguard came out to see her. And the next thing I saw, she was on the surfboard with the lifeguard, and the lifeguard's pushing her back in. And I remember thinking, why, what changed? Well, the lifeguard changed, saved her from whatever was going on out there. You and I have a lifeguard not for our physical lives, but for our souls. We need salvation. You need salvation. I need salvation. Without salvation, we are lost. The Bible says we are damned to a place so bad that it's described as hell. So salvation is when we are rescued or delivered in a physical or spiritual sense. Now notice the declension there. You can be saved physically, but it doesn't have anything to do spiritually. By the way, you can be saved spiritually, and it doesn't mean you're saved physically, right? So it doesn't mean that they intersect. Number two, the Bible says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now notice what the scripture says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? It is the power of God unto salvation. The power of God seen in salvation is to everyone that believeth. Why the need? I need salvation. Okay? Why do I need salvation? Because there is a sin debt in every single one of us. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter if you were born in Las Vegas or if you were born in Pennsylvania. Doesn't matter if you're in the Philippines like Calvin is. Doesn't matter if you are uh, from Germany. Doesn't matter if you're from Japan. Doesn't matter if you're from Florida or if you're from uh, California. Every single one of us have a condition called sin. Now, this universal condition, the Bible says, is upon every single person. No one is immune to it. Why do we need salvation? You need salvation. I need salvation. Why? Because the Bible says, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men. How many men have sinned? Yeah, all have sinned. For that all have sinned. Not one person is immune to the consequences and the characteristics of sin. You have sinned, I have sinned. There's never going to be a place where I become uh, without sin in my physical body. I will always have sin. And that sin has brought a reproach. That sin, the Bible teaches us, has brought separation. We talked about this a little bit on Sunday. That sin and that separation has put us in a place where I am against God. I am separated from God. Having the understanding darkened, the Bible says, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. I am separated from God. And so because of my need of salvation, I have, no, I have sin, I'm separated from God, and hell is my destiny. The scripture says in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life, this is such a serious verse, was cast into the lake of fire. That's serious stuff right there. If your name is not written in the book of life, the Bible says you will be cast into the lake of fire. That's, that's not a pretty sight. That's not something to look forward to. Hell isn't going to be a cool place. You will not have a hell of a time. It will be a horrible existence, the scripture says, because whosoever's name is not found written in the book of life, what is cast into the lake of fire. Okay, really important then. If salvation is necessary, I need spiritual salvation. If, there's a pro if there is a 
uh, an inde- uh, uh, a difficult end coming without salvation, how do I obtain it? I believe that the best passage of Scripture that denotes how a person comes to salvation is found in Romans chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up there, or you can look on the screen where we're going to see, or you can look in your sheet. Isn't this amazing? Multiple ways to view the Scripture. Aren't we wonderful in 2023? We have, God's given us so many ways. Look what the Bible says. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there's no difference between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is over all, uh, over all is rich unto them that call upon him. Look at verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then? Shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them which preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Okay, verse 13 says, Whosoever, doesn't matter who you are, shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. And then verses 14 and 15 tell us the process that got us to this thing. Sometimes people who believe like me are called easy believism. That, that, well, you just believe you say a prayer. You just believe if you just call out, you get saved. And the answer is, yes, absolutely. So you're just saying this. All a person needs to do is pray a prayer, ask Jesus to save them, and they go to heaven. Yes! How else is somebody going to go to heaven? Is it going to be through this deep, remorseful repentance? Well, what, what is repentance? Well, we saw it a few weeks ago. Repentance means to change your mind. It means, oh, I'm good enough to get to heaven. God's not going to put me in hell. I, I work really hard, and I try good, and I'm religious, and I do nice things. Repentance, you're a sinner, damned to a place called hell. Yeah, I don't want that. I'll change my mind. I'll take Jesus. Oh, I, 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 want, to have, I want to have deep conviction. Okay, great. I, I think there should be tears with salvation. I could probably ask for a survey in here. How many of you have cried when you trusted Christ as your Savior? And some of you would say, yeah. And then some of you say, how many of you smiled when you trusted Christ as your Savior? And some of you, oh yeah, it was like the best moment of my life. Well, which one was right? Are you supposed to cry whenever you get saved? Wait, maybe you should important. Okay, good. But if you didn't cry, what if you smiled? Well, I was just so joyous. Is the emotional response necessary at salvation? This is so important because if somebody is saved, how does the Bible say they get saved? Now, is it easy believism? I want you to see the long process that this passage describes in order to get to a person, uh, get a person to salvation. And so what the scripture does, it almost starts with the end. It puts the end, the conclusion, at the very top of the passage. Verse 13, do you see it in your scripture? It says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. That's the end process of salvation. But notice that the scripture then gives step by step by step by step by step that got you there. Now, you might not even understand it. You might not be able to recognize it. 
You might not even be able to articulate it, but God tells us here in this passage the multitude of steps that got you to the point of salvation, to where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God says it wasn't just this easy thing that just happened. Oh, I just pray a few words, say a few syllables. Now I go to heaven. No, it was a long process that got there. So let's look at how that process. Can we start in verse number 15? The Bible says this in Romans chapter 10, in verse number 15, and how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says here that for you and me to come to salvation, there had to be someone who was sent. You didn't come to an epiphany on your own. You didn't just look up into the skies and say, there is a God who made the moon. Last year in third grade, Miss Doty taught all of the third graders about the cycles of the moon. Did you know that whenever a moon is looking like it is tonight, it's called a gibbous? How many of you knew about the gibbous? I didn't know about that. The other day, or a, a few months ago, Luke's riding home from school because Miss Doty taught him and said, hey, look, Dad, there's a waxing gibbous. Like, what is a waxing gibbous? <laughs> he said, that's a waxing gibbous. I said, what do you mean is a waxing gibbous? When the moon is growing like that and it's at that, like, two-third stage, it's called a gibbous. Well, uh, yeah, I, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> and, when it's, and when it's going down, it's called a waning gibbous. There's a waning and a wax, and then there's a crescent, and then there's a full moon. That's awesome. These things that we didn't know about. You know how Luke found out about it? Not because of his parents, because someone told him. The Bible says, how shall they preach except they be sent? People do not come to Christ on their own conclusion. How do you know? Because Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10 says, as it is written, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. They are all gone out of their way. They are together to become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Whoa! There's no one that's out there looking, I just want to find the Lord. I want to find the Lord. I want to find the Lord. There's nobody who's seeking to find the Lord. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians that their foolish eyes, they're darkened. We think we're cool. We're good. I'm fine. I'm easy street. I'm beating that guy. It's like, how do, you, how do you survive a bear attack? Make sure there's somebody slower than you, right? That's how you survive a bear attack. And so in our, in our understanding, sometimes we think, oh, I'll get to heaven because I'm better than that guy. I might not be better than Rob, but I'm better than Curtis. And Curtis, and Curtis is looking, well, I'm better than Stan. Stan's better. Well, I'm better than Steve. And all of us are like, yeah, what? and we compare ourselves one amongst another, right? But that's not the way the game goes. The game goes, you compare yourself to Jesus, and in the presence of Jesus, all of us are found wanting. You're not as good as Jesus. Neither am I. But we compare ourselves, and we think we're okay. So the Bible tells us this. This process of you coming to know Christ as your Savior is something that started a long time ago. What, how does it get there? The Bible says, how shall they, in verse number 15, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 10, I'm in Romans chapter 3. And how shall they preach except they be sent? Somebody sent a preacher into your life. Now check that out. Somebody sent a preacher into your life. 
Now, who sent that preacher into your life? Now, I just want you to think for a second. Who was the person that introduced you to Jesus Christ? It's a really good question, right? Who was the person that introduced you to Jesus Christ? Now, how many of you have a friend introduce you to Jesus Christ? Be interesting, okay. How many of you have a, a family member introduce you to Jesus Christ? Or a parent included in that, okay? okay. How many of you had, um, how many of you watched some social media, television, or radio and came to Christ through that way? Okay, interesting. Oh, let's redirect our funding then, okay? Um, how many of you came to Christ because you found a Bible or a tract or a scripture and you came to Christ through that? Okay, really interesting. So if my math is correct, the greatest number of you came to Christ either because of a friend or a family member said, do you know about Jesus? You know what that person was in your life? They were a preacher. The word preacher comes from the Greek word kerugzomai which means to proclaim or to speak out. So somebody came to you, Ivan, and said, Ivan, let me invite you to church. Or let me tell you about Jesus. Or let's go get coffee. Or somebody came to your house and they put a flyer on your door. Or they, they said, you need to come to church with me. Or let's have a conversation. And in that, in that place, it wasn't a person who was occupationally necessarily like I am. It was a person who had relationship with you, and they were sent. Well, who sent my mother-in-law? Well, who was the one that sent the Christian into your life? Good question, isn't it? Who sent the Christian into your life? He has a three-letter title. Altogether, what was his title? Yeah. God in the person of Jesus Christ. So God, told, through Jesus, told you, Go, ye therefore into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. Jessica, what was the preacher's name in your life? Your dad. Awesome. Chris, preacher's name in your life. Yeah. Feel a little bit more grateful, Chris. All right, that's okay. Good. <laughs> Brian. Pastor Hobbs? Hobbs. Hobbes. Make sure you got that internet. Okay, good. Um, Curtis. Uh, Jim, Thomas. Jim Thomas. There's your preacher. Scott. Pastor Greg. Isn't that wonderful? Now, was your dad a preacher, Jessica? Oh, I didn't know that. You're ruining my illustration. Okay. No, anybody? What's he is now? Oh, he's not now. Still ruins my illustration. Okay. Um, John, who, led, who brought you to Christ? Yeah. Chris, who? Really important guy. Yeah. Maybe it was him. He can't remember either. Yeah, okay. Was he a preacher by occupation? Friend. Okay, very cool. Rob, how about you? What's that? Your parents. Were they occupationally pastors? Okay, very cool. Troy, how about you? Pastor, oh, man, all these pastors doing the work of the ministry. <laughs> okay, but that's awesome, right? And it's awesome because there was a preacher. Some of them occupationally, some of them said, I care for my child. Okay, I'm going to make sure that these people, Chris, a, a friend, invites him to church, tells him about Christ. That person was the preacher who sent them Jesus. Now, 
the same person that was sent by Jesus is also sending you. If you're saved tonight, say yes. Okay, you are sent. There is somebody in your life that you are responsible for telling the gospel to. Are you being faithful with that responsibility? Are you being faithful with that responsibility? Who is it in your life that God has sent you to? That's a great question. So how shall they preach except they be sent? Now, here's how the gospel started. Oh, I got this thing. See if that works. Gospel. Okay, right there. If you see the green dot, say yes. Moderns of wonderful technology, okay? Wonders of modern technology. Okay, so from here. Now look how far away we are. Here you are. Here's Jesus. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you all the way even unto the end of the earth. Wow. Okay? So he tells these, he tells these 12, 13 people, he says, you go. And you go where? Go into all the world. And so uh, some of them went down here. Some of them went over here. They went and saw an Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, it's believed that Thomas went over here. There's even a shrine to Thomas over here. There's some that believe uh, the Apostle Paul, he takes that commission and he goes here and then he goes here and then he dies and then people that he influenced go here and go here and then by about the second century, there's a Bible college here and there's a Bible college here and the gospel is going down and it's going all over the place. And then about 400 years ago, give or take, the gospel came from over here Okay, landed in a place called Jamestown, and there were Christian settlers there for the very first time. And then a few years later, up here in the uh, Plymouth colonies, there's another gospel presentation. And so here's a nation that has a gospel presentation going out, going out, going out, going out. How does a message, check it out, if Jesus is not God, how does a carpenter without a Twitter account get that message 2,000 years later over to right there? That's a long way. That's a long way to get it there. It's even a long way to walk from here to there. That's a long way to do it. But the Lord got, got a gospel message from here over to here. Why? Because he sent people. And you have been sent as well. You are sent by God. You are a kerugzomai. You are a preacher of the truth. Doesn't matter where you are. Your occupation might be a a uh, firefighter, your occupation might be an um, engineer. doesn't matter what your occupation is. You are sent by God. And I think it's really important, too, that we take care of our Jerusalem first. For me, Jerusalem is an address where I live in northwest Las Vegas. Man, I, I have to take care of that Jerusalem. Does your family know Christ? Man, i got to make sure my family knows Christ. That's an imperative in my life. Do you know if your kids have trusted Christ as their Savior? Do they have a testimony that they can share with you? Man, that's a really important question. Because if you'll look around, many of the people in this room knew Christ because a family member brought them to Christ. Do your cousins know Christ? Do your aunts and your uncles know Christ? If you're, if you're an adult, do your brothers and sisters know Christ? See, you're the preacher in their life. You're the preacher in their life. It doesn't mean that you have to go in there double barrel blasting them every single time with the gospel. In fact, the apostle Paul says, I became all things to all people if by any means I might gain some. So sometimes he went into a Jewish 
congregation, and it was different than when he was talking to the Romans. So you, and I believe this, God will give you the exact words to say and the answers to give and the questions to ask whenever you, but you have to engage. You have to take that first step. You have to get, if you will, out of the boat like Peter did, and you have to decide, I'm going to walk on a little bit of water, and I'm going to be the preacher. I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. So is your Jerusalem, is your household saved? Is your Samaria, your Jerusalem, your Judea, is your Samaria are, are you telling other people in your workplace? Are you talking to other people in your community about Jesus Christ and the uttermost parts of the world? Why do we support Calvin Hauser? Because I don't know that I'll ever get to the Philippines. But Calvin's over there, and last month he had 75 young people in his church, and then the next week he had 69 of them, and five of them prayed and received Christ and were baptized. Awesome. Go Calvin. Go Calvin. I want to support what Calvin's doing over there, okay? So I have a responsibility to be a preacher, but my first is to Jerusalem. Is your Jerusalem saved? Is your Judea, your extended family, are they saved? The community that you live in, the circle of people, the 60 to 100 people that you go to soccer practice with and you hang out with at holidays and are your friends, do they know Christ as their Savior? It is hell without Jesus. And we have a responsibility to be a preacher. You've been sent. Now, look at what verse 14 says. As you go through this passage backwards, the Bible says, How shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So there are three questions that are asked there that demonstrate how the word of God got to somebody. It started right here. Jesus sent somebody, okay? Jesus said to all Christians, go. But in verse number 14, the Bible gives us three questions. Can we look at that last question? And um, how shall they hear without a preacher? This is what the Word of God tells us right here. The Word of God says this. A person doesn't come to Christ without a preacher. One of the best statements I ever heard was this, that nobody comes to know Jesus as their Savior unless a Christian tells them. Whoa, that's really, that's really profound. People don't get saved. They don't wake up like one morning like, I'm going to do this Jesus thing now. No, they ha the Bible says, how shall they hear? Uh, how shall they hear without a preacher? God, for whatever reason, has chosen to use human beings like you and I. Uh, me, thinking sometimes I'm smarter than God, I think maybe I would put cloud formations in the sky. Like, Jesus or hell, you choose. I think that might be effective, right? Or the next time a volcano blows up, blah, 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 and the belching smoke comes out of that inferno, do you want this for eternity? I think I might do something like that. But God hasn't chosen to use belching volcanoes or cumulonimbus car, uh, clouds in front of a waxing gibbous. See what I did there? <laughs> he chose not to use that method. What did he choose to use? He chose to use human beings. So the Bible says, how shall they hear without a preacher? It is incumbent upon every Christian to tell somebody about Jesus. Every Christian has the moral, ethical, and religious responsibility to tell another person about Jesus. I heard one pastor say it this way, the only alternative to soul winning is disobedience. Whoa, that gets strong real quick, doesn't it? And yet we can get comfortable in our Christian circles. We can get comfortable in our, our, our religious works. They were like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. 
I'm good. No, you know, I, I have my 12 fans, and sometimes we will pad our culture with Christians. We get a three or four layer deep of Christians to where we don't have to interact with any unsaved people. And maybe that's when we need to go out on a Saturday morning and knock some doors and meet some people that don't know Jesus. Maybe that's when we need to pass out flyers more, or maybe we need to become more aggressive in telling people about Jesus. Because if you haven't had a gospel conversation with somebody for a long time, perhaps there's need to be a little more preaching in your life. If you haven't asked somebody a question about their eternal destiny, perhaps it's time to question whether or not you're living in obedience or you're just being comfortable. And I think sometimes we get so comfortable in our Christian existence, don't we? And God challenges us, go, 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 go. The fields are white unto harvest. So how are they going to hear? Without a preacher, it's a redundant question. They won't. Look at the question number two in verse 14. And, um, and how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How is a person going to hear without Jesus? The answer is they're not. Look at the first question of verse 14. Um, how then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How are they going to believe about somebody who they've not heard? How are they going to hear if there is no preacher? How's the person going to preach unless he be sent? Okay, we care about people in the Philippines. And to be honest, what is our level of care? Well, it depends on how much we give support and how much we pray and how much we, we are behind. Okay, so here's Calvin. We care about the people of the Philippines. Calvin says, I want to go and tell people in the Philippines about Jesus. Here, Calvin, take money. Go to the Philippines. Calvin goes to the Philippines. He's sent. He's a preacher. He preaches. Somebody hears. When somebody hears, oh, not everybody who hears believes. You know that, don't you? Not everybody who hears believes. There are some people that you will tell about Jesus and they won't believe. By the way, that's not on you. Your whole responsibility is just to tell because you never saved anybody. I've never saved anybody. The only person who's ever saved anyone is who? Jesus Christ. So it's only my responsibility to be a preacher. And I'm supposed to preach in such a fashion that they will hear. So how do I preach? Well, sometimes I might preach on my Facebook. Sometimes I might preach over a meal. Sometimes I might preach through a track. Sometimes I might preach through inviting to a Bible study. I can preach in a number of different ways. I just got to make sure they can hear. Make sense? So how shall they call upon him in whom they have not heard? Oh, I've got to preach. And if they hear, then they've got to believe. What that guy's saying about this Jesus is true. Okay. I believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Once they believe, what's the final step in verse 13? It's such easy believism. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, to get to that point is really easy. You mean it's so easy that all they have to do is pray? Yep. But is it really an easy process? No. It started 2,000 years ago. The 25 people that trusted Christ as their Savior on Sunday, we sit here and we say, praise the Lord, 25 people trusted Christ as their Savior. Do you understand how monumental of a task that got? How, how, how monumental of a task that was? It was a huge, it was, it was millennium in the making. It was 2,000 plus years 
for those 25 people to sit in an auditorium like this and say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm, well, that just seems so easy. Yes, because you're not thinking like God. It, it was so easy because here's Jesus taking nails in his hands and a crown of thorns. It was so easy. But you're not thinking about the whole process. process started there 2,000 years ago. And then somebody took that and they preached. And then as they preached, some people heard. And then some people who heard, they believed. And then when they believed, they're like, I need this. And 25 trust Christ as their Savior. But it's a long process. It's not easy believism. It's the grace of God giving the gift of salvation. Isn't that beautiful? So how does a person come to know Christ as their Savior? It starts by this understanding. If you want to write this as scriptures, you can. I'm not going to go through each one of the scriptures. God loves people. There is not a single person that God says, I made them to be a matchstick to burn in hell forever. There's not a single person that God, well, no. You go to heaven, you go to, like a, like a, a sicko game of duck, duck, goose. That's not the way God does this. God loves people. The Bible says, for God so what? Loved the world. John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How does a person get saved? Number one, it comes by understanding of God's character. God loves people. Number two, Jesus died for sinners. Jesus didn't just die for good people. Jesus just didn't die for people who would accept him. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Christ died for our sins. He has suffered once, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. He, he died for all sinners. What kind of people did he die for? But God commendeth his love toward us, Romans 5.8, in that while we were yet sinners, huh, Christ died for us. He didn't wait till we were good enough to be uh, able to accept that gift. No. He died for people who still hadn't heard. He died for people who still hadn't believed. He died for people who needed salvation. God, Jesus, died for sinners. Number three, the Spirit draws people. If you want to, you can take your Bibles and go to John chapter 17 at a later date. Verse 9 and 10, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit of God is about the whole world. It doesn't just say world, it says about the whole world. And he's reproving the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. If this is a person, the Holy Spirit is coming into their ears every single day of their accountable life and saying, you're a sinner, there's a righteous God, and judgment's coming. Every, so on Sunday, whenever we share the gospel that we're all going to stand before God someday, in the mind of a lost person, they're like, yep, yep. I'm going to stand in front of a holy God someday. The Spirit draws them with a conviction of their sin, a judgment of their sin, and the fact that they're going to stand before a righteous God. When that need is understood, a Christian, the preacher, shares truth. What's the truth? Oh, you're a sinner. Yeah, I know that one already. But I give the gospel. What's the gospel? Jesus died for your sins. A sinner responds. Not everybody who hears will believe. That's what the scripture teaches us in Romans chapter 10. Not everyone, who, not everyone who hears will believe. The sinner responds. When the sinner responds, conversion occurs. Conversion does not occur 
until a person responds to the gospel message. How shall they believe upon him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse number 13, whosoever shall call upon, how shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? Oh, they believe, yep, Jesus is, transaction is made. Jesus, will you please save me? Romans chapter 10, verse 13, that is the transaction of salvation. That is, now, does it have to be certain prayers? Nope. Lousiest sinner prayer ever recorded in the Bible. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What a lousy sinner's prayer. I mean, I mean, how, that, I've never seen any book, evangelical material that says, use this as the sinner's prayer. Not once have I seen that. But the dude is in heaven, not because of his words, but because of his faith in Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? But he made, how do we know he's in heaven? Because he made that transaction. You, you're the way, I'm not the way. Today thou shalt be with me in heaven, in paradise. Beautiful. There's a transaction made. I put my faith in you. Disciples, discipleship grows. So the conversion occurs at that moment of calling, at that moment of that transaction, and that discipleship grows in that person's life. Now, this is what's fascinating. Sometimes we try to put the discipleship before the conversion. They get saved, and then we say, well, they still say bad words. They still do bad things. They still have bad attitudes. I'm not sure that they're really saved. I'll tell you what, if, if every one of my actions was an indication upon my salvation over this last week, you could build a really good case against me. I mean, there's times when I'm grumpy, not too often, but sometimes I am. And there's times when I'm selfish, and you could put, if you were recording me 24-7 this past week, you could put together a really good sizzle reel of about 96 hours or so of selfish mat time. And if you were to watch those 96 hours, you'd be like, what, what, what a grumpy, what selfish, what a jerk. I can't believe, so lazy. Why did he eat that? <laughs> These would be all the things that would be on that sizzle reel. And you'd be like, man, he must not be saved. And you know what I would be like? I'd be like, but watch these 25 minutes where I preached. Just watch that. <laughs> Let's just loop that. Because that's what we want. We want everyone to see the 25 minutes where we preach, but there's 96 hours of indictment against us. You know what that 25 minutes is supposed to be? Hopefully next week it's 35 minutes. And those 96 hours are 95 hours. That's called sanctification. That's called discipleship. So you can't... I'm, and by the way, don't judge me because some of your sizzle reels would be a little bit longer. You could break the internet. So we all have discipleship that we're growing through. Um, but the gospel spreads as discipleship grows, and we follow the mandate of bringing salvation. Salvation is a wonderful gift. Salvation is the gift where God spares us eternal damnation in hell. It's already paid for, and it's easy to believe in it. Oh, it's been a long process for it to get here to your ears, but if you hear it, do you believe it? If you believe it, would you share it? And if you'll share it, would you let salvation come to other people just like it's come to you? Father, thank you for your word tonight and the time together. I pray that it be an encouragement to these, my friends. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. 
Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.